the preacher right here. And they say, what's going to happen is you're going to get in that pulpit and everybody's going to come on in around you. There's going to be a thousand faithful disciples of Jesus. And they're going, to, they're going to spur you on that whole sermon. There won't be a silent moment in that auditorium. And then I'm going to end on time, drop the mic, walk out of here and go back to Chicago. That's how it's going to happen today. How are you not always happy when the weather is like this? I'm imagining this church has no problems because it's always sunny outside. No? Okay, okay. Greetings from the Midwest. We uh, just crossed over the 2,000 member mark in the Chicago church. We're excited about that. Now, it's the fifth time we've done it, so we're hoping it's six this time. You know what I'm talking about? But, but we're hoping the trend is forward. Uh, there's 18 churches in the Midwest family, uh, almost 4,000 disciples in the Midwest. It's a hardy group of people. We're still in winter there, but the El Nino, or whatever you call it, is sweeping through. So we're getting some of your weather, and it's been, uh, it's been great. I do want to thank uh, Raphael for inviting me in to speak to you guys today. It's just so good. This reminds me of when I first walked into the church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 22 years old, newly married, had a baby. And I walked in and I saw a group fired up like this. The diversity. And I thought, this might be the answer to what ails the world. This just might be the thing that God would use to change the world is a group of people like this. The diversity, the age ranges here. The men, the women, the fired up zeal for Jesus. Because I don't think politics is the answer. We're not going to even go there today. You guys, let's talk politics. For, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. I think it's got to be something else. But I want, I, want, I want to say thank you to Raphael for inviting Marcy and I to come on in to speak to you today. I love Raphael because we see eye to eye, literally and figuratively, on a lot of things. Reese I more look up to, Marty I look up to a little more, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, uh, we're going to talk today about perseverance and endurance. And we're going to talk today about hanging in there and fighting the good fight of the faith. And you know, I do want to acknowledge that Marty and Chris Fuquay, uh, we owe a, an incredible debt of gratitude to Marty and Chris because back in the early 80s, while Marcy and I were fifth graders, they were starting the Chicago church. That's not an age joke, that's a reality uh, uh, comment. But you know, they didn't know back then that there were two fifth graders who had no idea that God was doing something with His people and converting people and starting something in the Midwest. And those fifth graders didn't know either. And when we were 15 years old, Marcy and I met as sophomores in high school, and God had us on a journey. And when we landed in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, as a newly married couple, Marty and Chris didn't know that the work that they had done to facilitate the planting in Milwaukee would provide some couple to reach out to us at a mall and bring us to church one Sunday. And what we begin to realize is when we do little things for God... If we hang in there and we know God is always at His work, then we can marvel, sometimes years later, sometimes in the moment, at how remarkable God is at doing miraculous things every day, every moment of our lives. You guys with me here? I love looking around, man. This is, this is surreal. But you know, we've got to fight the good fight of the faith, and today I'm here to encourage you in that, in that end. Amen? Because, you know, the only way we lose as Christians, I like to keep it real simple, the only way we lose as Christians is if we quit, right? 
as long as we don't quit, we're still on the winning team. And we all know people who've given up. And we're going to talk a lot about that today because sometimes we have this thought in our mind. Have you ever had this thought? I didn't sign up for this. Now, I know we never had that thought in our marriage or with our parenting or anything like that. Because, like, your children walk on water here in sunny L.A., right? And your marriages are perfect, right? Uh, no, they're not. But you know what? I want to tell you today, yes, you did sign up for this. And here's the problem is sometimes uh, the quitting is done while we're still present in the auditorium. Sometimes the quitting is done at a different level. And what I want to do is I want to kind of put the, the heart resuscitation on us today a little bit. And we're going to do a little study of First Thessalonians. So you can open your Bibles up to First Thessalonians and we're going to get there in a little bit. You guys with me here? I love hearing the new, there's a, there's a new thing that I think you should copyright. It's the, the way some of the brothers here say amen or it's, it's not the same as other. Yes, that's it. Yes. Sometimes it comes out as chess. I don't speak Spanish, so I don't know what that means. Is it the same thing? It's the same? Okay. It's the same thing. I got it. You know, we are a part of something so special. We are a part of something that is so worth fighting for. And sometimes we forget that every little thing we do to honor God in our lives is, is, does not go unnoticed by God. And you know, one of my uh, favorite passages in the Bible is in Psalm 127 where we're reminded unless the Lord builds the house, its laborers labor in vain. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be doing anything that's a waste of time in my life right now. I'm busy. We've got kids who are growing up and we've got, uh, uh, we've got our, our own things we're working on. I want to invest my life in the things that God is going to bless that are going to honor God in my life. Amen. You know, in John 5, 17, uh, Jesus is under some intense persecution. And what he says in that moment is he says, my father is always at his work and I, too, am working. And I believe that a people who can clearly see God working are a people who will be motivated to work for God. If you can see God in the little things, then you can see God in the big things. You guys with me there? You know, I remember my daughter was a little kindergartner. She had to go to show and tell, and I was in this profound spiritual moment. And I said, she goes, I have nothing to, 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 to give it show and tell or to, to, to show my class. And I bent down in a, in a dad spiritual moment. I picked a blade of grass. I said, hon, you take this blade of grass. And you tell him, God made this. She said, Dad, no, I'm not doing that. You know what I mean? But, but I tried. If I could see God in a blade of grass. But you know, as we look at like, we, we, we look at Jesus, he saw, can you imagine looking through the lens of the eyes of Jesus? And everywhere he looked, he saw God working. In trial, in victory, in persecution in encouragement, and as a result, he says, and I too am working. You know, I think Paul lived with this same conviction. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Not that I've obtained all this, but I press on, straining toward what is ahead. You know, Paul increasingly grew zealous for the mission as he aged. You know, the most fired up people shouldn't be the teens sitting right here or the campus sitting right back there. The most fired up people in the room should be the gray-haired people sitting in here today, man. Because you've been down that road. You've seen it. 
You know, Paul at the end of his life is like, you know, I'm not messing around anymore. I'm going to the most powerful person on the planet. I'm going to Rome. And I'm going to reach out to the guy who leads the world that we know in this day. Paul continued to get more and more fired up. Guys, sometimes some of us, we lose our zeal as we go on in years because we stop marveling at the blade of grass God has put before our eyes. You guys with me there? You know, I, uh, I became interested in looking at uh, 1 Thessalonians because I see in Paul this incredible, kind of almost naive uh, appreciation of the disciples as he writes the letter 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And I was like, what is Paul so fired up about? Why is he so grateful? You know, listen to some of the words he says in 1 Thessalonians, and then we're going to get there, but he says, we always thank God for you. He says, you became a model to all the believers. He says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. You know, I've never been in this region, but walking in here today, I I just thought to myself, I love being around the church. I love being with disciples. Reese introduces me and I'm just like, who am I to even stand here? This is so good. You know what I mean? Now, I'm kind of an optimist, but some of you may, may have the get off my yard syndrome going on in your life. You know what I mean? Or do you guys not have yards here because the water's low, right? Okay, so get off my sand or whatever you guys have out here. Get off my rocks, my beach. Don't walk your dog on my pebbles. Okay, got it. You know, he says in 2.13, we thank God continually for you. 3.12, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. You know, Paul, as he writes 1 Thessalonians, and I was doing this study, I thought, why is he so appreciative? Why is he so grateful? What has happened in Paul's life that he would pen this letter? And do I feel the same way about the church that I see Paul feeling about the Thessalonians? And, you know, it led me to this incredible study of the context in which Paul wrote this. Now, this part I need you to hang in there with me, okay? This is where I need you to say, whoa, great point, and fake it if you have to, amen? Because here's what happened. Here's a little bit of the context before we dive in. First Thessalonians was written in a moment in Paul's life where he thought he had failed, where he had invested himself, where he had poured himself out, And he thought, you know what, this has all been in vain. But he got a report back that said, no, God has worked. You didn't see it. You didn't comprehend it. But in fact, God had worked in a powerful way. See, coming out of Acts 15 in the Jerusalem Council, Paul had a huge fight with his best friend Barnabas. You guys know that passage? They had a sharp dispute. And the two that had started the missionary journeys together, they went their separate ways. So Paul grabs another buddy, Silas. And they begin in Acts 16 to head up into to Asia. And so they've got this plan for God. And they grab a young man named Timothy and they circumcise him. I call that the cutting edge ministry. Yeah, and the brothers wince and the sisters laugh. It's, a, it's awesome. By the way, when, you, when I get done with this sermon, by the time we get ramped up, you guys are going to go, what just happened? And then I'm going to walk off the stage. I'm going to throw some stuff at you guys, okay? And I'm going to end right on time. No matter where I'm at, mid-sentence, I'm walking off. (laughs) Reese, good. So Paul has a plan, and he's got this plan to go up into Asia. And that's, you know, modern-day Turkey. He's heading up north. That's where Paul's from, that area not far from there. And then this, this, it says the Spirit of Jesus stopped them from going in the direction they wanted to go. 
Can I get an amen if Jesus has ever stopped you at any time in your life? And then he has this vision of a man from Macedonia over there in Europe going, you've got to come over here. You've got to come over here. And sometimes God calls us in a different direction than we intended to go originally. And can I get an amen on that one? That just happens to all of us. And when you head in that direction, you know what's going to happen. It's going to be blue skies and rainbows and sunbeams from heaven. Because that's all I see when the Lord's living in me. Not. I forbid that song in our region because it's just a lie. You know what I mean? I don't just see blue skies and rainbows. I see trials and hardship and cancer survivor and kids struggling from time to time. I understand the outlook is positive because we're faithful Christians. But, you know, when they sing that song in our church, I'm like, whatever. You know what I mean? That's, I'm okay. Yeah, you know, it's just not, we lie to each other. No. So Paul follows the direction. And he heads to Philippi and they find Lydia and she gets baptized. And that's the first thing that happens when they start heading in the direction. He's probably like, this is it. God is going to bless what we're doing. We're following the direction of God. But then he's, he's arrested there. And he's in jail with Silas and they decide to sing. And of course, then he's probably like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Have we, have we, you ever get in that rhythm where it's like, it's great. It's poor. It's great. No, it's not. If you're ever running late, every red light is a curse and every green light God is with you. You know what I'm talking about? We get messed up, guys. And, and that's when we start to quit. God is in the hardship and God is in the good ship. You know what I mean? God is in the victory and God is in the trial. And so Paul ends up uh, uh, heading out as you, as you progress through this whole thing in, in Acts chapter uh, uh, 16 and 17. So they, 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 they come into uh, uh, Philippi and then they uh, form a mob in chapter 5. They have a little house church. They go to the house of Jason. They throw Jason out. Paul and Silas and Timothy have to head out of Thessalonica in that place. They, have to, they go to Thessalonica. They have to get out of Thessalonica because a mob has formed. And this is Paul's experience at Thessalonica. There's great persecution and they flee for their lives and they end up in Berea. And what does Luke write? The Bereans are a more noble character than the who? Thessalonians. How do you think the Thessalonians felt about that? Well, a bunch of Thessalonians followed them from Thessalonica into Berea, and then another mob uh, riot breaks out. There's so much persecution going on, they're like, Paul, you got to get out of here. And so Timothy and Silas stay in Berea. Paul heads to Athens by himself. He walks into Athens, and there are idols everywhere. Now, remember, he's been called by God in this direction. And there are idols everywhere. And it says he was so distressed to see all the idols that he quit. No, he began to preach the word. He leaves Athens. He didn't have a lot of victories. And he heads to Corinth where he finds Priscilla and Aquila. And he settles down there. And he's waiting for Timothy and Silas to tell him what has happened. Now, you guys with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3? That's a little bit of the context. A little bit of the journey. I find that to be fascinating. Because we know from what he writes in chapter 3, Paul is sitting in Corinth, waiting for word from Timothy and Silas going, have we failed? And so, what happens in verse 5 of chapter 3, it says, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter may have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. 
Has anybody ever felt that way? And Paul says, but Timothy has just now come to us from you. And you can find this over in 1 Corinthians. Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How's Paul feeling? He's feeling fired up. Why? Because all of that effort, all of that journey, following the path of God, facing the persecution, being ousted from cities, put in prison, standing alone in a, in a worldly place, and now in Corinth, he realizes God has worked and I couldn't see it, and I'm so refreshed to know that victory has been attained. And you know, he, he goes over chapter 2, verse 1, he says, you know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. Now, jump up to verse 2. Hang in there with me, guys. We're about to get to the good stuff right here. Okay. So he begins the letter in verse 2. And we're going to camp on some points here that I think are remarkable, inspiring points for us to endure, to hang in there. And he says, as he begins the letter, We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul commends the Thessalonians, and this is, he commends them in the beginning for the things he'll consider as he writes the rest of the letter. Why he says you're a model. Why he says your, uh, uh, your love has become known. Your faith has become known. And the three things he says is he says, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you not be fired up to be known for those three things in this group in the LA church? Your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, let's talk about work produced by faith, easily motivated by the unseen. You know, guys, if we do anything for the Lord, it has to come from a depth of faith in Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It has to be prompted by our faith in Jesus. I want to show you something here. Uh, this is a picture that I want to pop up, if we can get the right screen up there. This is uh, one of the, the bucket list moments in my life. Whoop, let me back it up. Hang in there. Boom, there it is. That's me walking my daughter down the aisle right there. That was a bucket list moment for me. She was barefoot. She's a hippie. She's a throwback 60s girl. You know what I mean? We were outside. There were bunnies. There were bluebirds. It was awesome. The day was sunny. It was great. And people are like, what an incredible moment. How did you feel about that moment? I said, oh, it's not that moment that I'm, uh, I'm reveling in. It's every moment that led to that moment. It's the work for 22 years that brought me to that moment that as a dad, I'm proudly walking that faithful uh, sister in Christ, my daughter, down the aisle to her faithful husband. You know what I'm saying? Because this moment wasn't brought to us just in that day. That moment was brought to us by a work of faith. Are you with me there? And I'm sitting there thinking to myself as I'm in this moment, as I'm having my first dad and daughter dance, I'm thinking, I cannot believe we got to this part of the finish line. Can I get an amen from the parents on that one? 
I mean, because I remember the little two-year-old who's like, Ugh! and I'm like, we're going to happy church, happy church. If you're happy and you know it, your face will surely show it. <laughs> Clap your hands now. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you guys know, some of the teens are so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm clapping my hands. It's good parenting going on around here. You know, I, that moment was brought to me by like, change your heart or we're going to change it through some physical repercussions. You know what I'm, I don't know if you can, <laughs> there's one zealous sister like, yeah, bring Spranking back, man. That's what we're doing around here. It's your work produced by faith. You know, I remember the seventh graders t- telling me, she's sitting on her bed, I can picture the moment right now, but I, I, but I love him, Dad, and I promise I, I won't even hold his hand. But all my friends have boyfriends. Hun, it's not going to happen. And I'm like, my heart's breaking for this little seventh grader that wants to have a boyfriend. And we're hanging in there and we're teaching her. To those teen years where we caught my daughter in a whole web of lies. Signing our name on dental release forms at high school. Oh, you went to the dentist today. Uh, uh, no, no. And then she had a panic attack and she's writhing like a demon-possessed child on the floor. I'm standing there like, and she's like, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. I'm like, yeah, that's what sin does to you. I remember that moment. It's a work produced by faith. And when you can breathe, we're going to talk about why you lied on the dental signing thing. You know what I'm saying? That moment was brought to you by those moments. So I'm walking that daughter down the aisle. But at any moment I quit, because I don't have the faith to persevere in those hard moments, I don't get that moment. And so as Paul's looking at the Thessalonians, he says, your work produced by faith. You've got to have faith to hang in there, guys. You've got to have faith to say, this is not in vain. Another family devotional. Another marriage discipling time. Another contribution in the plate. Another Sunday where I felt sick, but I went to church anyway. God will take every little morsel of faith that you offer Him, and He will bless it in abundance. We have got to believe that. You know, sometimes I think we don't step out on faith because we're afraid we're going to fail. I tell you, I want to live in a failure-rich church in a failure-tolerable church, so that we're not afraid to try things and see what God will do with it. Let's not just buy into status quo on everything. Have a 15-minute quiet time instead of a 10-minute quiet time. Who knows what will happen? You know what I'm saying? Say amen if you're more silent. Or settle down if you're out of control. Whatever. Take a risk. Change it up a little bit. Check this out. In 1960, an MIT meteorologist named Edward Lorenz made an accidental discovery while he was trying to develop a computer program that could simulate and forecast weather conditions. One day, while entering the correct metrics into his weather-predicting equation, instead of plugging in the number to the smallest millionth decimal point, which he would normally do, he plugged in a rounded number to the nearest one-thousandth, believing the rounded difference would be inconsequential. When he left the lab and came back to evaluate the software's calculations, he found a radical difference between the predicted weather patterns from one calculation to the now rounded calculation. Lorenz estimated that the difference between the the weather force of the two calculations was the equivalent of the puff of air produced by one flutter of a butterfly's wings. 
He concluded that a minor event like the flapping of a butterfly's wing could conceivably alter wind currents sufficiently to eventually change weather conditions thousands of miles away. This discovery became known as the butterfly effect. That a tiny little action here can manifest itself in multiplying ways way over here. And so the person you reach out to over there may years from now be impacted by that moment and a generation change. Are you guys with me here? But we've got to have the faith to step out and work in this way. You guys know parkour? Anybody ever heard of parkour? I, three, three years ago, I did parkour. I, I was like, it's my parkour summer. And Marcy was like, you're 44 years old, you've lost your mind. I'm like, no, parkour, hardcore parkour. You know what I mean? I mean, I was doing, I was jumping off trees, I was doing, I was getting in shape, I was lifting weights, I was doing all this stuff. I'm like, hon, man, I'm 44, I'm redefining middle age in America. You know what I mean? This is what's happening. And we're out on a walk in a park one day, and there's a, there's a, a, a little a retaining wall of bricks and a tree with a beautiful branch, eight feet, feet up. I go, hon, watch this. Which, which Jeff Foxworthy says, you know, if you've ever had a relative die after saying, watch what I can do, you might be a redneck, you know, that whole thing. I run. In this public park, I run. I plant my foot on the thing, grab the branch, and don't realize the physics of what's happening because my feet kept going because of my incredible speed. And I could not hold onto the branch once I was uh, parallel to the ground. And so I fell eight feet straight onto the ground. And Marcy said it sounded like a car accident. I lay there and I did like some immediate calculations as I was laying there, feet, yeah, all the way up, okay, yeah, I'm still intact, you know what I mean? And I got up and I was like, take me home, take me home, take, take me home. And I started coughing blood on the way home. And I uh, went to the hospital, didn't want to go. The doctor's like, what happened? I said, I fell out of a tree. He's like, how old are you? And why were you in a tree? I wasn't in a tree. Well, I was for a split second. Failure. It happens. What I learned from God is don't do parkour. That's the lesson of that right there. Number two, your labor prompted by love. You know, labor, I was like, what's the difference between work produced by faith? and labor prompted by love. I looked it up, you know, the the language there. Labor is just more intense work. I'm like, dang it, I was hoping for something more profound than that. Any sisters here have a baby ever in your life? When When the water broke, were you like, oh, it's time to go work on having a baby? No, you said something like, I'm in labor right now. Get me to the hospital. You're not working on having a baby at that point. You're in the grind of having a baby. You guys with me there? I think what we need to understand, the difference here to me, is there is a grind to being a Christian that we just have to accept. And I think Paul is saying, after all of his experience to the Thessalonians, there is a work produced by faith, but there's a level of grind that is prompted by love. There is a grind this thing out for these years of your life, these months of your life, these weeks of your life. Hopefully it's just days of your life, but there may be some years of grind that you must tolerate and never give up because God is not done working in the grind time. You guys with me there? And what's so fascinating about that, it's in the grind time that we actually grow the most as Christians. 
And I want to show you something here. And uh, this is a little, uh, little screen I built. I want to show you. You have a certain capacity, and we'll call it love capacity. Because that kind of sounds Californian to me. Love capacity. And that's your maximum. And you have your God capacity going on. And as a non-Christian, your capacity to love will never grow because your God capacity is limited or handicapped or not invested in. And that's the maximum ability for a human to love when their God capacity is lower than their love capacity. But when we become disciples, our love capacity or our God capacity increases. And we're filled with that Holy Spirit. So guess what happens? Now your love capacity increases. Guys, I think this is awesome. You guys are stunned and silent right now. I'm like, you're lo- look at this. This is incredible. God is expanding you through the grind. But guess what can happen next? You keep raising your God capacity. And what does it lead to? I mean, pure awesomeness. And that's why the older Christians are the most fired up people in the room. Because their God capacity, that grind, it refines you, it teaches you, it gets you on your knees, it gets you doing the little things over and over and over again. And God will bless it. You know, I'm a, I'm a cancer survivor. At 34 years old, I was an evangelist, fired up, let's change the world, and then you're diagnosed with cancer. And you're like, hold on a second. That's not what I had planned out. I had thyroid cancer. They had to remove my thyroid. When they remove your thyroid, you're messed up. Your thyroid controls everything. It, it controls your emotions. And I'm a pretty stable, emotional guy. When they took out my thyroid, and I sat there with no thyroid uh, influence in my life, I lost my mind. I was sitting there watching Oprah and weeping as she gave things away to people. <laughs> My endocrinologist called me one day while I'm watching Oprah and I'm weeping. I'm literally blanket around my shoulders. A cat. No, it wasn't a cat, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm crying and she's like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm losing my mind. This has got to be fixed. But they were in treatment. I was in radiation. They couldn't fix that part of it yet. One day I was doing some work and I was laughing with Marcy talking. The next day I was crying or the next moment I was crying and something didn't go. The way. And she's like, well, at least now you know what it's like to PMS. I love you. But I said, well, now you know what it's like to live with someone with PMS. I win. (laughs) The grind. The grind. It's the grind. I praise God I was a cancer survivor. Cancer has changed my life. My priorities changed. Um, this last point, and I like this picture. Uh, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a hope junkie. I don't know if this will pop up. I hope it does. There it is. You know, I'm a hope person, guys. And what Paul says here: your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, the grind that love sustains in your life. And your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, disciples need to be the most hopeful people on the planet. When you walk into a room of people who are filled with hope, it changes your life. 
When you walk into a room with people who are not cynical about what's going on in the world, but have the solution for what's going on in the world, it changes your life. When you guys sing your songs and, and people come in for the first time, they are blown away. They weep when they come in amongst true disciples of Jesus. Now, sometimes we think, well, we sing this song every Sunday. Or why do we sing so many in Spanish? Or why do we sing so many in English? I don't know how you guys do it. But we can get critical and lose this sense of hopefulness that God will do it. You know what I'm saying? That God will provide. God will lead the way. I mean, I, I love that Paul says, man, your endurance, your hanging in there, your perseverance is inspired by your hope in Jesus Christ. I mean, guys, the weirdest thing about us is we believe Jesus was raised from the dead. It's not that we meet in somebody else's church building or a cafeteria or whatever, or the hugs or the weirdness of our fellowship. You know what I mean? The weirdest thing is we believe Jesus raised from the dead and therefore there is hope for all mankind. We watch uh, the politics and we go, no, 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 there's hope for all mankind. We watch what's happening in, in, in violence around the world. We say, oh, no, 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 that's not the answer. There's hope for all mankind. And so when I go out today, I will not give up. Every little thing I do, God will bless because it's not in vain if I do it in faith. It's not in vain if I hang in there and persevere because I have hope in something greater. Are you guys with me there? You know, there's a, I find myself weeping at things like move that bus. You guys ever seen that show? Oh, it's like amazing. They get these people together and, and they're in a wheelchair and they build a house for them. They move the bus and all of a sudden it's like, I just start crying. Or undercover boss gives someone $20,000. It's so awesome. You know what I mean? And the people are like, I have hope. We have greater hope than undercover boss. Or move that bus. Once there were five-year-old twin boys, one a pessimist and the other an optimist. Wondering how two boys who seemed so alike could be so different, their parents took them to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist took the pessimist to a room piled high with new toys, expecting the boy to be thrilled. But instead, this pessimistic twin burst into tears. Puzzled, the psychiatrist asked, do you want to play? Don't you want to play with these toys? Yes, the little boy bawled. But if I did, I'd only break them. Next, the psychiatrist took the optimistic twin to a room piled high with horse manure. The boy yelped with delight, clambered to the top of the pile of manure and joyfully dug in scoop after scoop, tossing it, the manure into the air with glee. What on earth are you doing? The psychiatrist asked. Well, said the boy beaming, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. I don't know what you're looking at right now. I don't know what you're looking at right now, but it may be a pile of horse manure. And I say dive in head first. Throw it into the air and let the world go, what in the world are you doing? I have hope inspired by something greater than my finances, than my physical health, than the state of my marriage, than the way my kids are acting. Then the car I'm driving, then the house I live in, then the state of our world today, my hope is in something greater than that. And in that way, we can sing Blue Skies and Rainbows. Are you guys with me there? Let's be that kid looking for a pony. Are you looking for a pony today? I think we should be. And so it is a work produced by faith. It is a labor prompted by love. It is an endurance inspired by our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is this that sustains us. It is this that sends us out today to a mall to share with somebody. And when you order food and you see the, 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 the braces on the teenage girl, don't get intimidated by her. Share your faith with her. 
Have a neighbor over. Pray for Lithuania as you raise special missions and give the missions because our hope is not in that money. It's in what God can do with that money to impact the world for good. You know, Jesus looked around and said, my father is always always at his work and I too am working. This was modeled by the Thessalonians as Paul found out later. It was modeled by Paul in his pursuit of Jesus all the days of his life. And it should be modeled by us because we preserve that legacy that we find in the scriptures. And Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and I'll close with this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And we will do that in Chicago and you will do that here. And our brothers and sisters will do that everywhere in the world. And God will be glorified. Right. Amen.